having the wedding here yesterday, I was able to have my mom come up and my um, my sister Cindy. Um, I'll let you decide which of us is older. Um, <laughs> and my brother-in-law, David. Uh, and uh, nah, I'm the older one. Uh, but anyway, um, I want to remind you that my mom is here today. So if you're going to be critical of my preaching, it's like poking a mama bear. All right? She might be little, but she is powerful. All right? So uh, anyway, no, I, I mean... It, we don't get to have them up very often, so it's it's always special when they do, and they're going to be flying out today. And, and Jeff and Roxy um, and Gene's side of the family were up yesterday, and they flew back this morning. And uh, we would appreciate prayer. Jimmy flew out this morning as well because he uh, he's going to be uh, training for um, for uh, this month doing some schooling. So uh, so anyway, uh, you know we we do appreciate everybody coming in. It was nice to, to we had a good day yesterday. Today is Palm Sunday, and traditionally we talk about the triumphal entry of Christ, and Dave did that ahead of time a little bit, and I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I, I'm on the last miracle of Christ, and it was really hard to go, okay, so I stop, and then we do the Palm Sunday, and then Easter, and then we do one, and then and after Easter we're starting a, a series on um, the Bible in 16 verses, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 16 key verses, and tell the whole story. So that's where we're going after Easter. So uh, Palm Sunday, you can read it. You know the story, many of you, about Jesus and coming into town, and they were, they, were, they were waving the palm branches, and they were crying, you know, Hosanna, um, and, and, and worshiping him as king. But you need to understand they were looking for a political savior, not a religious one. So by the end of the week, they're crucifying him. And we're actually going to pick up our story. Our last miracle occurs after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is very, very significant. And so I wanted to kind of end on that because I think it, it, it carries a lot of meaning with us, particularly as we head into Easter next week. So um, with that in mind, it's the story of the 153 fishes is the story. There are two main fish stories in the Bible. Um, one of them occurs at the beginning of the ministry of Christ, and one occurs after the resurrection at the end of the ministry of Christ. And I'd suggest to you that both of these miracles are, if you were, parentheses around the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to dive into it this morning, and where there, there are differences, I'm going to try to highlight them because they do add some importance to it. Here's probably the biggest. In the first miracle, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. In the miracle at the end after the resurrection, Jesus is on the shore. And that becomes very significant, and it, it has some significant impact for us as well. And we'll talk about why that was and, and why that makes a difference. So uh, let's jump into it. We're in the book of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, and here's where it starts. John chapter 21. It says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples. Um, Jesus has... Um, this is the third time he's appeared to the disciples. Uh, this is uh, the seventh appearance, actually, after the resurrection, but this is the third one to the disciples. Um, in, this, in, the, um, in two of those three, uh, Thomas was there, uh, and one of them, Thomas, was not. So you need to put that in context. Jesus has already appeared to the disciples. He's already spent some time with the disciples. 
Now he appears to them this third time, and it says that it's at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's referred to as Gennesaret. Uh, and it says now he manifests himself as follows. He says, okay, here's the story. Uh, there were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, and one called t- the twin, and Nathan, and Nathaniel, one from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. When you add it all together, it's about seven people at least in, in this boat, or uh, together. And notice what happens. And Peter said unto them, I'm going fishing. I think we should just end there. And go home today and say, the preacher told me to go fishing. Um, And we can just end it right. But he says, I'm going to go fishing. He said, and they said to him, we'll go with you. So picture that. Peter's with them, and they're kind of standing around looking at each other, and they're going, let's go fishing. And they go. Now, everybody likes to jump on them about why they went fishing. I don't know why they went fishing. Okay? I don't know if this was a, we can't do anything else. I don't know if this was a, we're bored. Let's go fishing. I don't know if this is a funny. I know yesterday at my son's wedding, we stayed in cabins right there, and there's a little pond that they had just stocked with trout. And every time I walked out of my cabin, I was watching somebody reel out a fish. And I'm sitting there at one point waiting for pictures. You know how that goes. Waiting for pictures thinking, I want to go fishing. Um, I don't want to be waiting for pictures. I could be fishing. Uh, and I don't know if that was the thing. They just wanted to go fishing. But that's what it says. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and they got in the boat, but, but that night they caught nothing. So understand this. These guys were fishermen. In fact, many of the people that are mentioned here were some of the earliest of the disciples. They're some of the people that had been with Jesus for, for three full years. And they were some of the early followers of, of Christ. And it says that they decided, look, let's go fishing. They fish all night and they don't catch anything. Now, in the first miracle of the fishes, They fished all night, and they didn't catch anything either. So up until now, they're very, very similar. And so that, and that's going to, I think that plays into this thing. So here they are. They're going to go fishing, and and people people get critical on this. Commentators particularly get critical on this, and they go, was it wrong for Peter to go fishing? I, I don't know. I don't know. Some people say yes, some people say no. If you had to corner me and say choose, I would say no. It wasn't wrong for me to go fishing, and here's why. When Jesus talks to them, he never addresses the issue of why they were fishing. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus helps them catch fish. So I don't think it's necessarily wrong for them to be fishing. Um, I I don't know why they went fishing. I can tell you this. When morning came, they were frustrated. Um, and I don't know if their mindset was, look, our, our leader is gone. Yeah, we've seen him. I don't know that he can really help us. Let's go fishing because we don't know what else to do. I don't know if it was a thing where they thought, you know what, it's a really nice day. Let's go fishing. We haven't done that for a while, guys. Let's all get together and go fishing. Let's just go do something. Peter was kind of an, uh, uh, that kind of guy, and maybe he just said, you know, let's just go do something. Let's just go fish. But I know this. They knew how to fish. And they had spent all night fishing, and they didn't catch anything. I have spent time fishing and not caught anything. And I know it's frustrating because you're going, I should be able to catch something. I should be able to catch something. And they go fishing. So for whatever reason, they're fishing. Now notice what it goes on. The story goes on. Uh, Verse uh, 4. Now the day was already breaking. That is very, very important. So what time of day are we talking about? Huh? In the morning. In the morning. 
That is really, really, really important. I'm going to tell you why in a minute, but just hang on to it. It's important. When the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples were unaware that it was Jesus. Now, later we're going to find out the boat and Jesus are about 100 yards away. So let me put it in respect for you. This building's 100 feet long. If you multiply this building by three, that would be 100 yards. That would be about to the end of the blacktop out there. So they're in a boat here. Jesus is standing on the shore about the other end of this blacktop. Not a huge, long distance. They see a figure. It's early morning. They don't know that it's Jesus, but it's Jesus. Understand the concept here. They're frustrated because they haven't caught anything. And they see somebody out there who happens to be Jesus standing out there. And notice what he said. Jesus says to them, lads. Lads, children. It's, it's, by the way, it's a fascinating word. This word is used by John when John writes in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He uses this word in talking about young Christians. It's the same word. And Jesus uses this term, lads, children, um, little kids, kind of concept. Um, boys, you know, sometimes I'll call my kids boys, you know. It's that kind of idea. And he says, you haven't anything to eat, have you? In essence, what he's saying is, you guys really haven't even caught enough for breakfast yet, have you? How's the fishing? So he's standing out on the shore, if you will, and he's going, hey, boys, how's your night been? And, of course, they're fishermen, and they've got to acknowledge, not so hot. And notice what happens next. They answered no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll catch. Now, a lot of people want to make a big deal out of this, about, you know, well, you know, this is Jesus. They, remember, they don't know it's Jesus. But if you have fished any length of time and not caught anything, here's what you will find. You are desperate. You will do anything. It does not matter who is suggesting it. You will do it. And if I'm fishing, I'm casting out to this side of the boat, and somebody stands on shore and says, hey, try the other side, I'm going to take a shot. What have I got to lose? It can't be any worse and I think that's really kind of the concept of the disciples here. It's kind of like when I fish. I, 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 am a, I like use, when it comes to artificial lures, I like Rapalas. Rapalas are like my favorite lure. I, I have a Rapala for everything. And, and I love fishing them. Hofer likes MEPS spinners. And I'll never forget, we were over at Shram's ones. We were fishing. I was one of those church things, and I'm fishing, fishing, fishing. And Hofer goes, here, try my MEPS. And I tried the MEPS, and then I started catching fish. It killed me. Just killed me inside. So I went out and I bought a bunch of MEP spinners. So I have now a whole little section in my tackle box of MEP spinners. And you understand that when I'm out fishing and I can't catch fish, and I've been at it for a while, reluctantly, in the depths of my soul, I open up my MEPS spinner box. I don't want to say that Hofer was right, but I'm desperate. I will do anything at that moment, okay? I, I, <laughs> I'm just desperate, okay? I, uh, there you, thank you, McKean, thank you, thank you. Uh, and I think that's where we are. I think that's where the disciples are. They are frustrated. They will try anything. And some guy on the shore screams out, hey, try it on the right side. Throw it on the other side. And they do. 
And notice what happens. They cast it, and now they were no longer able to haul it because of the great number of fishes. They throw it on the other side, and this net is just too hard to even pull in. I mean, they're doing everything they can. Now, in the first story, there was another boat that came over to help them. Not in this one. They're on their own here. And in this story, what happens is they grab that thing, and they start to try to pull it in. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is often used in the Gospel of John, referring to John. John doesn't refer to himself, but we know John is the beloved disciple. And so anytime you see that reference, it's usually talking about John. He's talking about himself. And he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. John is standing in the boat now. And John is going, wait a minute, deja vu. I have seen this before. That's Jesus. And so John says, it's the Lord. And now, now here's what, here, this, this is really important to the story. Notice what happens next. It says, then Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, belted his fisherman's jacket about him, for he was stripped, and he flung himself. In. He's not fishing naked, okay? So don't, you know, it's not like, you know, naked fishing in the Bible. And it's not what this is talking about. This is, this is, this is just the way they, what it meant is he's gotten rid of all of the other stuff, and, and yet, so, you know, he's kind of down to where he's comfortable, and yet, he realizes it's Jesus on the shore, and he realizes he can't go there looking like that. So he grabs something real quick, covers himself up more, and he jumps in the water. He's got a 100-yard swim, all right? And notice what it says. He flung himself in the sea. But the other disciples came with the boat, for they weren't far from the land, only about 100 yards, dragging a net full of fish. So now they're dragging the net up to the shore, and Peter's swimming. I don't know who got there first. I really don't. I would think the boat got there before Peter, but I don't know. Because, again, now Peter's got clothes on. If you ever tried to swim with, with the jacket or stuff like that, it's even harder. So, but Peter doesn't think. Peter just acts, all right? And so he does that. I love the zeal. Anyway, now going on. So here's the story. Notice it keeps on going. Here's what it says. Uh, dragging the full net of fish. Uh, there we go. Then when they stepped ashore... They saw a charcoal fire all made with a fish lying on it and also a bread cake. They get to shore, and Jesus has made a fire, and this is very, very important. It says here, a charcoal fire. You know when the last time in the Bible a charcoal fire is mentioned? Peter stands beside a charcoal fire and denies Jesus three times. So I want you to think about this for a minute from Peter's perspective. I think Peter had already wrestled with the idea of Jesus and the thing because this is the third appearance that he has had with, with Jesus. And when John looks at him and says, it's the Lord, Peter doesn't go to the back of the boat and hide. Peter jumps in the water to get to him. But when Peter and the disciples get there, the first thing that they see is a charcoal fire. doesn't mean anything to the other disciples, but to Peter? If you don't think that the Satan was poking his heart going, hey, hey, remember that last time you were around one of those? And Peter standing, now by the way, you know what happens after this story? Jesus and Peter standing by the fire having that discussion about, do you really love me, Peter? I'm going to talk about that in a second, but notice what he goes on to say. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish with you that you just caught. 
Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. They go in. Peter goes in. Um, Jesus, notice what it says. Jesus said, bring some of the fish with you you just caught. And so Peter runs over to help them get the net in, and, and they count 153 fish. Now, people do crazy things with the Bible, and this is a great example of this. Um, why 153? I'll give you one explanation. There are 10 commandments and seven disciples. That's 17. If you add the numbers, 1 plus 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6, all the way to 17, it comes out to 153. You didn't know that, did you? Did you know that if you take an equilateral triangle... And you start with the number one, and then you go, in the first row you go one, and then you go one, one, and then you go one, two, three, and then you go one, two, three, four, and you go one, two, three, four, five, that you end up with seven, with 153? Didn't know that, did you? You want me to tell you why I think it's numbered? Because any real fisherman who catches a lot of fish counts them. You don't come home with the, and go, hey, we went out fishing and we just caught a bunch. Because everybody goes, yeah, right. You come in and you go, no, 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 no. 17 bass, all over 20 inches. 13 strikes. You go through the whole list because you're a fisherman. And now you have to have video proof because we've listened to enough of your fishing stories to have to double thing. And they count them, 153. That's what it means. Notice what it says. 153. And though there were so many, then that was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples was venturing to ask him who you are, because they knew this was the Lord. They knew who this was. Now, a lot of people miss this. There's a lot of debate on this. I'm going to tell you what I think on this, but I, I want you to pay attention to it, because I do think it does make a difference here. Listen to this very carefully. Jesus came and took What's the next word? The bread cake. And gave it to them. And the fish. The fish. Not the fish they brought in. The fish. The fish that when they came on shore, Jesus is standing there putting over the fire. When you actually read this story, and you look at the Greek language, here's what you're going to find. Where it says that little phrase there, he took the bread cake and gave it to them. It is the exact same phrase that is used when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and takes the bread and the fish. And feeds the 5,000. And a lot of people believe, and I tend to believe this, that what Jesus is saying to them is, hey guys, remember the story of the 5,000? You give me a little, I'll multiply it a lot. And I think afterwards, they probably ate the rest of it. But for this part of it, it says, they took it and similarly, and notice it says, he gave it to him in a fish similarly, and now this was the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after having risen from the dead. That's the story. Okay, let's talk about a couple of things uh, that I think we can take away from it, some things maybe that, that we can learn. Um, First one, I think we have to learn to depend on Jesus. 
You see, when these disciples were trying to do the fishing thing on their own, it just wasn't that successful with it. But when they listened to Jesus, even though they didn't know it was Jesus, they became very successful at it. And notice in the passage, Jesus is standing on the shore. Jesus isn't like waving his arms and saying, hey, guys, it's me. He's just quietly standing on the shore watching them fish and then says, hey, guys, throw it on the other side. And I want to suggest to you that some of you right now are in very frustrated in where you are in life. And you're kind of like the disciples. I don't know why it is that you're doing what you're doing, but you're very frustrated with it. And, and you're getting frustrated and trying to figure stuff out. And, the, and can I suggest to you that what's happening is Jesus is standing off in a corner saying, hey, why don't you try it this way? Not going to stand up and scream and yell and holler and beat you up and all that kind of thing. He's just going to say, hey, look, how about doing it this way? He's doing it through different people in your life. He's doing it through preaching. He's doing it through other people. But he's, he's trying to press on you to do something different about what you're doing, to listen to him. But you, you, are, you, are, you are so enamored by your, your circumstances that you can't see him. You can't hear him. I'm convinced Satan's number one tool in our lives today, he keeps us busy and he keeps a lot of noise in our lives. So the whole thing is we can't hear God. We're too busy. We can't hear God. There's way too much noise. We get very uncomfortable when there's a lot of silence. And I want to suggest to you that God is in that circumstance that you're so frustrated with right now, where you're working harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, that the reality of it is Jesus is standing off the side saying, hey, look, you need to do this. You need to depend on him through this. You need to try it his way instead of your way because uh, your way's not working. It's getting very frustrating to you. And I just want to challenge you to really think that thing through and step back and go, you know what, how dependent am I on God on this thing? How much am I looking to it and, and saying, okay, God, what's, what's your plan for this? How should I respond to my wife? How should I respond to my kids? How should I respond to my employer? How should I handle this situation with our relatives? How should I do this? And listen to what he's got to say. I think another part of this story that's so amazing to me is I think in this story it's all about hope. I really do. Because I think what happens in this story is Peter gets to that shore and I think Peter's excited to see Jesus. He's already, apparently Peter has already resolved this, this denial thing. Because if he hadn't, I don't think he ever would have jumped out of the boat. I think he would have gone to the back of the boat and said, hey, guys, just, you know, I'm just going to kind of. But he jumps out of the boat. He gets to him as fast as he can. But I think the more Peter is standing there looking at that fire, the more Satan starts to play that in his head. And Satan starts to play that, look, you can't serve God. Don't you remember? You denied him. What do you think you're even doing here, Peter? Peter, you don't even deserve to be in his presence. And I think Satan is using that charcoal fire, if you will, to flaunt his past in front of him and keep beating him up over it over and over and over and over again. I think that's why the next story, the very next story in this thing, is Jesus and Peter standing there. And we make a lot of that story. I think we make too much of it. But I think as Jesus and Peter are standing there, it's a matter of Jesus looking at him and saying, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter who's normally a man of action, is hesitant to stick his, to, to, to jump out in it now. Peter's a man of, uh, uh, Peter was, is basically going to say, you know what, I'd rather prove it to you than say it now. 
because I said it before and I didn't follow through. So, Lord, you know, I don't know that I can say I really, really genuinely love you, but I, I think an awful lot of you. And Peter and Jesus asked him again, Peter, you really love me? And he goes, Lord, you know, I really think. A, and finally, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you really just think a lot. Of, am I in your corner, Peter? And Peter goes, yeah, you are. But every time, here's what's significant. Every time when Jesus talked to Peter and Peter responds, Jesus responds too. And you know what Jesus says? Go feed my sheep. Go do me your job. Peter, look, stop looking at the fire. Go do what I want you to do. And what happens in this story? If you know the story, after Jesus leaves at Pentecost, when they go, we need somebody to preach, Peter goes, I'll do it. Why? And this is so important. Because Peter was not going to let his past become his present or his future. Peter was not going to let Satan win that battle. And I get so frustrated with some of you because you let Satan win that battle. You let, that, you let Satan get you to focus on the fire. You let Satan get you to focus on whatever your past was, on that person, on that situation, on that circumstance, on whatever it is, and you let Satan beat you up with it. And you have convinced yourself that you really, God can't really use you because of your past. And you have let your past become your present, which is now becoming your future. And one of the things that you see in this story is Peter jumps out of a boat and runs up. And I genuinely think that's what this whole fire thing is all about, that Peter is struggling. And Jesus finally pulls him aside and goes, look, buddy, just go, just go take care and do what I've told you to do. I'm not going to address the fishing thing, Peter. I'm not going to address the denial thing, Peter. Just go do Peter, I know you love me. I know you want to serve me. Just go do it, Peter. Don't let Satan win here. And Peter sees more people, recorded people, come to Jesus Christ in the New Testament than any of the other disciples. Why? Because Peter said, I'm not going to focus on that fire. I'm not going to focus on that denial. I'm going to focus on taking care and serving my Heavenly Father. I'm going to serve Jesus. And I want to challenge you this week. Some of you, you know, that's the reason some of you won't invite somebody to church this week. Because you're going, well, I'm not the best person at work. Fine, tell them that. Tell them that. Because you know what, look, I don't know what you think about the whole church thing, but believe it or not, I, I try to go as often as I can because I need it. And don't look at them and go, you need it too, so come with me. Um, but, and don't do that. But look, be honest with him and say, look, you know what? If you're not doing anything Sunday, how about coming to church with me and then come over to my house for dinner? You go, they're going to say no. And the problem with that would be, here's a better question. What if they say yes? What if Laura's story becomes their story? But all it took was for you to say, hey, are you doing anything on Easter? A lot of people go to church. Do you know, are you going to go anywhere? Do you know where to go? How about coming with me and coming over for dinner? And allow God to use it. You go, yeah, but my past. Stop. Don't let Satan win that battle. And I think the other thing that you see, which kind of ties with this, is this idea that if you will simply step out of your box 
and you will trust God, let him do the multiplying. Let him take care of the results. Your job is not to produce results. Your job is to do your job, to do the thing that God has laid on your heart. Have you ever wondered, have you ever thought about it from, have you ever thought about preaching from my perspective for a minute? How long do you think I could do this if every day I walked in here and said, whether or not I do it next week is going to depend on whether or not everybody listened to me and did what I said. How long do you think I would last as a pastor? Huh? Yeah. We're done. We're out of here. Why? But you know how I put my head on my pillow at night? That's not my job. My job is to take the Word of God, to deliver it faithfully, to deliver what God has laid on my heart for you this day, and then I walk out of that door, and I walk out saying, now it's between you and God to deal with it. My job's not to multiply it. My job is simply to be obedient and faithful. And I want to challenge you because some of you are so afraid that if you ask somebody and, and, and that you've got to do everything, you don't have to do anything, just let God work. And I think that's the whole idea of the fish thing. It's like they're obedient, they get 153 fish. I think Jesus is standing at the, I think the reason that he divides, I think the reason it says the fish and the bread cake, and there, I understand there's some debate on it, but when you put all the pieces together, I, I think this is a big deal. What, I think the reason that it says that is because Jesus is reminding these guys, guys, don't forget, we fed 5,000 people. I don't need your fish, guys. But I want to share with you what happens when I have one thing and I take it and I multiply it because I want to do the same thing with your life. And by the way, it's not too far after this story that we come to Pentecost and a bunch of guys say, we're going to preach, and God says, fine, I'll take it and run with it from there. And 3,000 people come to know Christ and are baptized that day and make their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and it becomes revolutionary, and this thing that we enjoy today called the church starts out of that movement. Why? Because a bunch of guys said, in fact, in Acts, you know what it says of them? They were a bunch of unlearned men. They were a bunch of averages, a bunch of average people who just simply stood up and said, you know what, this is what God wants us to do, we're going to do it. And God said, guys, thank you, I'll use it. And I want to challenge you this week. Because I'm afraid some of you are spending way too much time looking at a fire. And I'm afraid some of you, you're missing the idea that there is hope I said at the beginning of this that this whole thing starts out, and one of the key phrases was it's the morning. Do you know where the fire was when Peter denied Jesus? It was at night. You want to know why it's significant that this story happens in the morning? You want to know why it's significant that Jesus is resurrected in the morning? Because what Jesus is saying to Peter is, look, Peter, this is the same fire, but this is a new day. This is the same scenario, but you've got a new opportunity. We're not going to deal with the past, Peter. We're going to deal with where you are right now and what I could do with you today. And for some of you, that kind of hope, that kind of encouragement, that kind of opportunity exists today. But you know what? You have got to step back and say, you know what? I'm going to depend on Christ. I'm going to walk with Him. I'm going to let Him use me. I'm not much, 
but I'm going to let him use me. And you will be amazed at what he does. And like me, you will stand back and go, I don't know why God's doing it, but I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. So I close this morning with this. As a benediction, I close it this way. We need to learn that we're not walking this journey alone. Jesus is on the shore watching and desiring for us to listen to him. He's patient. He's loving. He's forgiving. He offers hope when you see hopelessness. And he wants to multiply your life as it touches the lives of others. Let him use you this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we've all got stuff. We've all got issues. We've all got things that we're focused on, Lord, that have become so big. Lord, so many times we allow Satan to drag up our past, to wave our past in front of us. And Lord, we allow that to ruin how you can use us in the present and in the future. And Lord, I'm so thankful for a guy like Peter who didn't do that. Lord, I'm grateful for a story like this that offers hope. And Lord, I ask this morning that you would speak to each of our hearts. That Lord, you would help us to be able to see that you want to use us. You desire to use us. But Lord, we have to be able to be obedient and follow you. We have to be sensitive, Lord, to your leading and your direction and not our own. So help us this week. Lord, when it is all said and done and we stand together, Lord, may you be honored and glorified. May we rejoice in the fact that for some crazy reason you desired and chose to use us. And we're grateful for it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and we're going to sing the first verse.